Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Ryan. It's Sylvia, right? Yes. All right. Yep. I always tell myself I'm going to ask before the pod <laughs> starts, and then I never do. Ryan Sylvia from Tennessee.Rivals.com or Vols Report, correct? Ball Report, yeah. Vol report. Okay. No S in there. Vol report. Um, he is joining us today to preview the Citrus Bowl between Iowa and Tennessee coming up on New Year's Day. Ryan, um, well, first of all, are you going to be at the game? Are you going to be able to make it? I am. Uh, me and my coworker Noah, we're heading down on the 30th. So we'll get there a couple days early and we'll be in Orlando for the Citrus Bowl. Cool. There you go. I will also be down there on the 30th. Um, we, uh, has, has Tennessee had some they've had some media availability the last few days, right? Yeah, we had Hypel yesterday. And then as we speak, we have Nico and a couple other guys talking to the media right now down in Orlando. OK, cool. I always had some availability, too. And I'm just like major FOMO going on right now. Yeah, got to sure. got to cover uh, Iowa men's basketball. They take on Northern Illinois. So uh, thrilling game happening. Tomorrow <laughs> in Carver Hawkeye that that I'll be at and and covering because I am the men's basketball beat writer for the site. But um, football is is coming. It will be here on the first. Very excited for this game between Iowa and Tennessee. So, Ryan, the, the thing that sticks out about this Tennessee team right now is, well, obviously, they've got a different starting quarterback. Let's let's start there. That news came out yesterday. I'm going to try to pronounce the last name. Nico Iamaliava. That was perfect. You hit oh, it. Oh, let's go. Let's That's go. better than most Tennessee fans at this point, I think. <laughs> There's a W to start the podcast. So, Nico getting his first start of his career at, at Tennessee. Um, haven't seen a ton of him playing at the college level to this point. Four games that he has played in. I don't know if you saw my article. I just recently put one out. You did. About his recruitment, um, schools that offered, what our national analysts thought of him. His head coach, who also coached Bryce Young, Currently, the starting quarterback for the North Carolina or for the Carolina Panthers, rather, um, and and former uh, uh, former starter for Alabama. So that guy knows football clearly. And then added some thoughts on on what we've seen in the, the small amount. And I think the majority of his snaps were were in that UConn game, or were they against Vander, Vanderbilt? Uh, I would say the most we saw him kind of able to use the playbook would be in that UConn game. Okay. And I, I, did you read the article? I talked about his throws to the left and, yes. and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, it's such a small sample size. I'm writing this. I'm like, how the hell am I going to get any sort of reasonable takeaway from this? But I, just what did you think about what I threw in there? I mean, you know so much more about Iamalialva to this point um, and, and more than I do, obviously. Yeah. Uh, like you said, we haven't seen much of him in, in like like how I just said, using the full playbook. A lot of the times we've seen him this year because once the season began to progress and there weren't opportunities to get him earlier, they kind of decided, hey, we're going to stick to that four-game limit, try to get that red shirt for next year, even though you don't necessarily expect him to be here for the entirety of his eligibility. If he's what you expect him to be, let's give him the opportunity to redshirt. So there was a lot of chances that maybe we could have saw him and could have seen him use the playbook a little bit. Uh, at the end of a blowout loss to Missouri, there was a couple possessions at the end of that game where it's was like, is this the time where you stick him in? And they kind of decided not to. So we've only seen him actually be able to run this offense so many times. And as you put in your article, and as you mentioned, there, 
don't know if I would call it an accuracy problem, but he has missed on one, two or three throws that maybe he needs to hit on. That's when you kind of remind yourself he's an 18 year old freshman, right? And those things are going to be worked through. But I think he's showing a, a lot of really good things in the opportunities he's had, even going back to the orange and white game. And when you kind of have that intra squad scrimmage in a half pack stadium, he, he showed abilities very quickly to maneuver in the pocket. When he faces pressure, he, he does a good job of keeping his eyes downfield while evading it and, and still finding a receiver. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how he handles a full game where you're the starter you're the one that's responsible for for all 60 minutes of this football game. But from what we've seen so far, I'm not going to say he's at the level that a sixth-year senior Joe Milton's at, but I don't think it's going to be a detrimental drop-off where Tennessee doesn't have a chance in this game or anything like that. So you mentioned the fact that they obviously didn't open up the playbook for the the snaps that he got. Do they open up the playbook for this game, you think? Yeah, I I mean, I think he'll play or they'll call the normal kind of set of plays that that they would with any other quarterback in uh, against Iowa. When I say they didn't open the playbook, a lot of the times it was, hey, Nico, you're going to come in, you're going to get two drives and that second drive, we're just trying to go home. And so let's hand the ball off a few times. Let's just you're going to get the reps, but we're not going to run kind of that normal offense. And against UConn, the game that he threw his first touchdown pass in, you saw a little bit more of that hey, let's see what you can do within the normal offense that we run. So it was those screen passes early in downs. Let's work over the middle a little bit. Let's see how you can kind of read a defense and go through your progressions. When in a couple of those other appearances, it was a little bit of a formality maybe at the end of a game where we'll get you some reps. We're going to keep you under that four game mark so you can preserve that red shirt. But we're not necessarily going to let you run the full offense that we would if you were the starter. The thing the positives that stick out to me about his snaps that he, that he has gotten so far. And uh, it, it was said in the article too, by, by a few of our analysts and by Kevin Pearson, um, which you can check out if you're a premium subscriber at Iowa.rivals.com um, is that that dude throws hard. Yeah. And it's one of those, it's one of those that, you know, the way Patrick Mahomes has been described to me is he looks like he's throwing it soft, but it just pops out of his hand. That's what I see in Nico. You also see the mobility. Um, you, you see the it's it's not exactly like I guess in the short game he still throws hard. Is I guess what I'm trying to get at. And I, I, that was an issue with one drop, one went over a guy's head, and I imagine that's something he's just going to gradually figure out. So that's not necessarily an indictment on him or his career, but. The positives that stick out are the fact that he is able to throw like that. He's able to throw like that. And then the mobility. Yeah, I mean, you would hope that the receivers are used to catching hard passes with Joe Milton being the guy that. That's true. Yeah. Anything too new. It's uh, tough to find a stronger arm in college football than, than what Joe Milton has had. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was one of the first things that that you saw when they were going through spring camp and going through fall camp and were able to watch some of these practices where you're not seeing too much out of the quarterbacks where you can sit there and fully judge what they're capable of doing. But when you're watching Nico throw, it was pretty apparent pretty quickly that that ball had some zip coming out of his hand. So I I do think that that is a strength of his is he's not the biggest guy. He's tall, but he's not the the heaviest or biggest guy, but he's still able to, to get that ball out really quickly, which is 
not necessarily something you see often from a true freshman. So, and then you mentioned Bryce Young earlier. You, there are some of those sim similarities as well. I think it was Bryson Easton, one of the defensive linemen, was asked earlier today, just about an hour ago, what he sees out of Nico, and he said it's he sees a tall Bryce Young, which which is a, an interesting comparison because they do have some of those similar traits where they're able to be mobile. They can tuck it if they want to, but. I mean, Tennessee fans saw against Alabama back in 2022 when the Vols actually were able to win that game. But Bryce Young did a great job of extending plays all game, evading pressure, finding guys downfield. So Nico's got a little bit of that in him against Iowa. It's going to be a big test against that defense. And it's a quite the game to come into for your first ever start. But I think that there's probably going to be some flashes here and there where Maybe at the end of the game, he doesn't have the stat line that that jumps off the page, but you'll probably see some things throughout the course of the game where you go, okay, we can build off that, and this can be something we use going forward into his redshirt freshman year. Bryce Young, just about a foot taller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the Iowa defense. That is the thing that I think it comes down to, right, going into this game. Matching up with Phil Parker's defense as a true freshman is not ideal. Phil Parker, he confuses guys who are who are the six year seniors like Joe Milton. He's able to uh, disguise pressure and send pressure where you're not expecting it from. And then that zone defense, it keeps things in front of you. So it, it inhibits the ability to make those big plays. And. Well. I, I guess that's that's why I. I I was on a show yesterday, Hawkeye headquarters with Blake Hornstein, who's been on this podcast before. I was on um, their their TV program, and i I don't want to I don't want to spoil my uh, my final score prediction. We'll get to that at the end of the show, but i I see it being favorable towards Iowa because of that. Like you can make the jokes about Deacon Hill all you want, uh, Iowa starting quarterback, but with that defense matched up against a true freshman, no matter how talented. I give that advantage to the Iowa defense, right? Yeah, I I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, I don't think Tennessee's going to go out and I, I would be pretty surprised if they put up over 20 points on the board, right? The the question will be what can Tennessee's defense do uh, against Iowa to kind of keep it in the mud a little bit, keep it single digit on Iowa? Because you have a true freshman at quarterback against one of the top defenses in the country you, you're not Tennessee's not going into this game expecting to put up a bunch of points to look like the 2022 offense with Hendon Hooker and be throwing the ball everywhere they want finding wide open receivers streaking down the field so I, I think the expectation has been set where hey we just want to kind of see what we have from you against a, a really tough defense throw you into the fire a little bit and go out there and try to win us this football game but at the same time we probably don't need 20 points out of you to win the football game. So with that, Tennessee's def or excuse me, offense is also missing its top two running backs. So you not only have a, 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 a true freshman, you're also missing Jalen Wright, the true freshman at quarterback. You're missing Jalen Wright, who's headed to the NFL and mm -hmm. Jabari small is Jabari small. Just is, did he enter the portal? Did he get hurt? What's what's going on there? So he hasn't officially announced what he's going to do. What we've heard all offseason is he's likely going to use that last year eligibility somewhere else outside of Tennessee. But he has opted out of the bowl game and not officially said what his next move is. So I guess the option is open to return, but he will not be playing in the game. Okay, so that's where I look at this 
And I mean, you can't necessarily look to the run game and say, oh, there we go. We're going to establish the run that'll open things up for Nico because you don't have your thousand yard rusher, right? You don't have your second string running back. So that makes things all the more difficult for the offense. Uh, where do they stand at running back with? I, I It's Dalen Sampson. That'll be their number one, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's do, do they have any other options behind him that are viable to play? What's the running back situation for, for the volunteers look like? So running back one, it'll be Dylan Sampson. Uh, he's a sophomore, played a good amount as a true freshman. And honestly, by the end of the year, I think it was safe to say he passed Jabari Small for that running back two role. He is a dynamic runner. There's been a few games this year where he's passed Jalen Wright. He's been the guy late in games where against Kentucky, you need to run the clock out. You have about a possession lead. Let's let's milk this clock, get a drive going down the field by going on the ground. He was the one in the game that they trusted over a Jalen Wright to kind of finish that one out. So Dylan Sampson is very, very capable as a runner. The place that Tennessee is going to be hurt by a missing Jalen Wright, by a missing Jabari Small, is in pass protection. Those two guys, more veteran guys, a little bit bigger than Dylan Sampson as well. They were much better at protecting the quarterback. Dylan Sampson has grown tremendously since his freshman year in that regard, but that's still probably the biggest weakness for him and the area he will hope to grow in the most this offseason. So that's going to be an area that gets a little sketchy maybe at sometimes if if he needs to pick up a pass blocker. We saw, especially in his freshman year, he he was getting Hennon Hooker hit a couple times on, on some missed assignments, less this year, but still not where you want it to be. Behind him, you're going to have two true freshmen, Cameron Selden and Khalifa Keith. Neither of them have played much this year, mostly on special teams. Uh, they, they've come in alongside Nico a few times, just uh, here and there to try to get some reps. Tennessee feels really good about Cam Selden. He came in as an athlete, and he was deciding between running back and wide receiver. And so he's that type of big, physical running back that also has the hands to be a pass catcher. Uh, against UConn late in the game when when Nico was in, he came in as well. They, he was split out wide into the slot a few times as well. So he's a really versatile guy. They're going to try to use him in the passing game too, I think, uh, whether it's out of the backfield or in the slot. But he, he's big, and he could be that guy that maybe steps up in pass protection. There's going to be a few technical things that you might be big enough to do it, but you still have to kind of mentally know where to be in pass protection. Uh, but he, he's a big guy in the Khalifa Keith behind him, too. He, he's another really big back. So you have a kind of shorter, faster, quicker uh, type of guy in Dylan Sampson. There's been comparisons to an Alvin Kamara with him a little bit. And then you have two bigger guys behind him that are very inexperienced, though. So... They like to do a rotation in the running back room. Should be mostly Dylan Sampson, but they're going to have to rely on a couple of true freshmen, which once again, this youth against Iowa's defense could, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a tough challenge for them. So while we're on the offense, let's talk a little bit about wide receiver. BC Ross 89 on our premium board. He wanted to, wanted to understand, or wanted to ask about that, considering we've heard about the wide receiver, excuse me, considering we've heard about the running back, the quarterback, how do they stand yeah. at receiver? Any of these guys opted out? I don't I don't believe I saw that anywhere, that they're missing any of their receivers from the season. Is that correct? So no opt-outs, no transfers, but there are still some injuries that they're dealing with. Broom McCoy, who's your starter at X at the beginning of the year, uh, one, one of the highest-rated recruits uh, out of high school that's ever found their way to Tennessee, obviously didn't start with the Vols, but came in uh, in 2022 and, and found a starting role really quickly. He had a pretty gruesome leg injury against South Carolina. He's out for the year. Uh, he has another year of eligibility, so he's he's with the team right now. We'll, we'll see what he does. He, he could possibly go to the NFL 
or, or go to the transfer portal. But with that leg injury, it looks like he'll probably be coming back to college in some form next year, but he he's still out. Then you have a guy in Dante Thornton who transferred from Oregon, really highly ranked transfer, a uh, big physical guy. They like to put him inside and outside against Missouri. He gets hurt on a touchdown catch. And after that game, uh, the next week we asked Heupel, what's the update on him? He said out for the regular season, we'll reevaluate ahead of the bowl game. So far, we have not had an update on him. I don't expect him to play at this point, but there's a possibility he's able to go. Uh, and he's a guy that is very physically gifted. He's had a little bit of trouble maybe, I don't know if learning the offense is, is the right phrase, but a little bit of trouble integrating himself in the offense maybe. But by the time he got hurt, it looked like he was maybe turning that corner. So what that leaves for you, if neither of them are able to go, is a really young receiving core. You're going to have... In the slot, Squirrel White, your leading receiver, who's a really short uh, guy, but super quick, like a, a Dylan Sampson in, in some ways, where he's able to take the top off a of defense and kind of manipulate the safeties uh, with his routes just because you have to respect his speed. And he, he's a sophomore right now. At Z on the outside, you have Ramel Keaton, who's going to be kind of that veteran leader in that room. He's a fifth-year guy out of eligibility. He stepped up as a starter last year at times, so he's got experience. His biggest issue so far has been his hands. He's dropped a couple, I mean, frankly, wide-open, walk-in, backward type of touchdowns, and, and he's let a couple of those slip through his fingers. So he's still trying to maybe find a little consistency there, but he's talked about how much this game means to him, and he wants to go out on top. So he's looking to be a factor. And then on the other outside spot, they've been rotating two redshirt freshmen in Chaz Nimrod and Caleb Webb. And they really want one of them to stick. They really want one of them to be that guy of the future. I would say Chad Nimrod separated himself a little bit over Caleb Webb, but it hasn't been enough where you're like, this is the guy. He's going to start, play most of the snaps there. Uh, and, and this is your guy of the future. So they they are thin at wide receiver in some ways. They have the bodies there, but they're still kind of looking around for a guy to break out, be a Jalen Hyatt from last year who went to Blittenkopf. Be a Cedric Tillman from the year before where every third down, you know where the ball's going. They don't necessarily have that this year. And that's kind of been something they've been trying to go through the whole year. And one of the reasons that maybe the offense took a step back is the receiver play took a step back. Mm. And is that a is that a consequence of obviously losing a talent like Jalen Hyatt or by way of Joe Milton? kind of stepping up to that position. Am I, am I, make, am I connecting dots that aren't there? Uh, I'm, I mean, you could say a little bit of both. Obviously, Hendon Hooker is a better quarterback than Joe Milton. I don't think that's a hot take, right? So <laughs> I don't think that helps your receiving core. But also, you like you just said, you lost Jalen Hyatt. You have the Blitnikoff winner going to the NFL. Your number right. two receiver, who was one of the best in the SEC the year before and dealt with a lot of injuries last year, he's also gone to the NFL. So you had a lot of guys step up. You expected Ramel Keaton, that veteran, to, to maybe step into that Cedric Tillman role on the outside and be a big physical option. But it, it just took him a little bit of, of time early in the season to kind of maybe get used to being a full-time starter. And then the injury to Brew McCoy was brutal as well. And Brew McCoy is much more than just a, a big receiver. He's one of the best blocking wide receivers I have ever seen in college football. There is screens uh, they they love to throw these screen routes at, at Tennessee. And if you see a, a slot receiver lined up next to Brew McCoy, there's a good chance they're going to try to get the ball out there. And there was a few times you see McCoy just push a guy down the sideline and create that big hole for a big score. So that hurts. Uh, it doesn't help. I, I think that 
Next year, they're in a better spot bringing in a transfer in Chris Brazel and, and having a five-star wide receiver freshman come in and getting some of these younger guys more experience. But it's kind of been a musical chairs at wide receiver this year. And to, that's a long way to say a little bit of both. You, you lose Hendon Hooker and that hurts, but you also lose some really talented wide receivers as well. Sounds like McCoy belongs in Iowa because a lot of the receivers kind of <laughs> just uh, him well. just block. <laughs> <laughs> Now let's let's move to the trenches here. I see we've got our running list of of guys who are going to be out for the bowl game for both Tennessee and Iowa on mm-hmm. our tennessee.rivals.com on on Ball Report. Um looking at the 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 report, um four offensive linemen on this list, injury, three transfers. Any of these guys starters? The three transfers no. The injury, yes, starting at guard and and he's he he had a phenomenal season before he got injured pretty late in the year. Okay. Is that a situation where you look at the backup and you say, I'm nervous, or is he a plug and play guy that, you know, you're maybe not exactly as confident in, but he'll, he'll do his job. I I think you're a little bit nervous about that guard position. You've been banged up on the offensive line uh, to start the year at center Cooper Mays, who's an all SEC caliber guy, probably going to be an NFL draft pick after next season. He's He's missed a good portion of the beginning of the year, got healthy towards the end. At your two tackle spots, Gerald Mincy and John Campbell Jr., those are two guys that also were hurt towards the end of the year. From what we've heard, they seem healthy. They seem ready to go in this bowl game. Both of them have announced their intentions to come back next season as well, so there's no opt-out rumors or anything with them. But the two guard spots are where you get a little bit nervous. The one opposite of Spragans, you have Ollie Lane, who is a veteran, has been here a while. He knows what he's doing, but he's had issues kind of maybe playing at an SEC level at times. More of a guy that played out of necessity than a guy that was so good you couldn't help but play him type of situation. So that side's a little iffy. And then when you lose the guard that you feel really good about in Javante Spragans, now you have to go kind of deeper on the depth chart to find his replacement. You have a Texas transfer in Andre Carrick, but he's been hurt a lot this year. And even when he's healthy, he hasn't necessarily played a lot. I think that's probably where they're going to go if they can. But there's also a good chance we see Jackson Lampley, who's another situation like Ollie Lane, where he's a veteran. He's been there. He's done that. He knows what to do. He knows the offense. He knows his role. But he's not necessarily an SEC Power 5 Citrus Bowl caliber player. So the inside rush for Iowa will be something to watch. Around the edge, I think the tackles can do a good job of slowing that down. But if Iowa starts to pinch a little bit and really try to take advantage of those guard positions, I think they could see a lot of success. Now, with that being mentioned, I got to tell you a couple of names. I don't know if you've looked too much into the personnel at Iowa uh, to this point, but YA Black, a junior who is coming back for his senior year, we got that confirmed. Um, he is out not really practicing right now. I know he had a helmet on today at practice, but there was a time during the season where he was in on a sack that I believe was a safety against Wisconsin, where I thought he killed the quarterback. <laughs> so that's, that's a name to watch for you guys. Aaron Graves, Logan Lee, um, and, and Jeremiah Pittman all, all stepping up in there on the, in, the interior of the offensive or excuse me, of the defensive line for Iowa. So that's that's definitely a matchup to watch for Hawk fans as well. Now, when we're looking at the front seven of the Tennessee defense, both BC Ross 89 and Birdman 1973 are asking about this uh, on the premium board. So shout out to, to the guys on the board, but asking about the defensive front 
uh, for for the uh, for the Vols. And the again, another transfer who is no longer with the team, Tyler Barron transferred yeah. to Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. So that's third leading guy in terms of sacks and second leading uh, tackles for loss. Correct. Uh, sounds right. I'd, I'd have okay. to double check. <laughs> but he's he's definitely up on the list. I'll tell you, he was a big factor in Tennessee's defense. Okay. Now he he didn't obviously didn't lead the team in sacks or in tackles for loss. But when you lose that type of production, that hurts. Yeah. Um, I guess similar question to to that guard position. Is it a situation where you're like, oh man, it's going to be tough to replace this guy, or or is it a situation where it, where it is plug and play and you're comfortable with what you got behind Barron? I think they're fine uh, on the defensive line and what they have behind Barron. A, a big reason for that is Rodney Garner, the defensive line coach, is a a big uh, a big guy, and let's get a lot of rotation in this group. So it's not like Tyler Barron was playing every snap anyway. They they most you would see a guy on the defense on the defensive line playing a game was probably about half the snaps, and, and it was rare to see anyone kind of go above that point. So you have a lot of experience behind him, uh, and that comes in older guys that that have been here and, and done that, and guys that have even started over Tyler Barron at times this year, like Bryson Eason, and then also younger guys that that you have that you feel good a, as an edge rusher. Overall, it's a it's a front six technically because they play a, a four-two nickel, so it is a little bit different. But they have a lot of guys in in that room on the other side uh, at the Leo position, which is that kind of hybrid edge rusher outside linebacker. They have James Pierce Jr., who he's a sophomore this year. He has a really, really good shot at being a first-round pick in, in the following year's draft. Led the team in sacks. He he is the the prototypical NFL outside linebacker, edge rusher type of guy that can get to the quarterback uh, really well and really consistently. They have some guys in the interior. That's probably where they're weaker is in the interior of the defensive line. Uh, rather than the edge, but they have big guys like Amari Thomas coming back and he's announced his return. So defensive line, they feel pretty good. Your middle linebacker got hurt in the first game of the season and is out for the year and won't play in the ball game. But all that's done is give a sophomore Elijah Herring a, a lot of time to kind of develop and get used to being that starter. And then at the weak side linebacker, Aaron Beasley, he, he's one of the better linebackers in the SEC as well. So they feel a lot better, I think, about that defensive front than they necessarily do about that guard position with Javante Spragans out. Now, while we're talking about the defense, uh, <laughs> yet another position that has been hit by the portal is defensive back. Five DBs in the portal, one out due to injury. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, three of the defensive backs were were contributors on yeah. on in the secondary um birdman 1973 asking about this as well considering all these guys out um tell me tell me about what they're missing here because again it's not a guy that you're looking at any of these these dbs who are out it's not a guy that you're looking at said and saying oh he led them in interceptions oh he led them in pbus right like so on its face when you look at stats when you haven't watched all the film this season or watched all the games this season like me you don't look at that and think, "Oh, thank God, they're they're top DBs out." Like, wh where where are they at with with missing these guys? I mean, they're missing a, a lot of contributors in, in that secondary. They have two out of the five guys. Like I said, they're in a nickel. They have two starters remaining, and that's even going kind of into the two deep of guys that had to step up for injury. So you have Jalen McCollo, a veteran safety. And then a, a transfer guy at cornerback and gave Judy Lolly. They're still on the team. They're on track to play. 
But at safety next to Jalen McCullough, you have Wesley Walker, who just entered the portal very recently. At the star nickelback position, you had Tamara McDonald, who, who was the starter there, and he's entered the transfer portal. At cornerback, Kamal Haddon, who was your best defensive back all season long, ended up getting hurt in the Alabama game. He's out for the year. So who steps up for him? Danico Slaughter. Well, now he's in the portal and he's going to Arkansas as well. So you're lo you're losing a lot of guys. It's going to be a really kind of patched together secondary in this game. I know Iowa isn't going to always take the top off of defense, but if there's a game to kind of expose a secondary for Iowa, it's, it's probably this one because of how inexperienced and youthful they're, the, the unit they're going to send out is going to be. They're treating it almost like a tryout, I, I think. Heupel talked about some of these guys are younger. They might not be in this role next year, but if they want to be, this is the time to prove that they can hold down that position. If you're a young guy, you're getting a chance to start at cornerback like a Ricky Gibson or, or at star like Jordan Thomas, and this is your chance to, to earn that role that you want to have next season throughout the entire year. So it's going to be a lot of young guys who are amped up to play, who are looking to prove something. So there's going to be some mistakes uh, that that's just going to happen throughout a football game, especially if you're young. But I think it's going to be a group that's kind of playing with their hair on fire, looking to make plays. And if they're going to make a mistake, they're going to make it at full speed and, and try to do something to make up for it. So it's going to be rough maybe at times. Uh, there's going to be some blowing coverages here and there, I think. But like I say, it's going to be a determined group. Uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Hammer the over Deacon Hill passing yards. That's that's what I just heard from <laughs> Ryan Sylvia. <laughs> Don't do that. Never do that. <laughs> now, uh, if there is a scenario where Iowa is able to take advantage in that in that situation due to missing the defensive backs, I would imagine it's because of a play that's that's made by by a Caleb Brown. Or, or in in the running game where they're able to get to the outside on a jet sweep, you know, which is a Brian Ferentz staple. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but I, I do see an opportunity there for for Iowa potentially to to move, maybe I guess move forward in the passing game. This may may well be Deacon Hill's last start at Iowa. So who's to say they they don't let it rip? And it's Brian Ferentz's last game. Though we also said the same thing about the big 10 championship game. And that definitely didn't happen. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that shakes out. One last thing um, from, from Birdman 1973, who dropped a, a question on the board, several questions clearly uh, about the, the special teams. Iowa considered one of the best special teams units in the country. Obviously they don't have their gunner and Cooper DeGene. That's why Cohen Entringer went viral after the big 10 championship game. But Tori Taylor, are the best punter in the country. I would not even say arguably because he won the Ray guy, Ray guy award. Drew Stevens struggled towards the end of the season with his kicking Marshall meter meter, of course, comes in and wins that game against Nebraska for the Hawks. But what are we talking about here with Tennessee special teams? Where, where are they at? Are, are they among some of the best in the country? I mean, they got speed, right. In terms of returning, I think of, when I think about Tennessee and their weapons, I think about speed. So is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I think Tory Taylor versus D. Williams is going to be something to watch in, in this game. There should be a lot of punting, so we should see it a decent amount, right? <laughs> oh, it's uh, Iowa football. There's going to be a lot of punting. <laughs> but D. Williams, he is a dynamic returner. He He's helped win a couple of football games for Tennessee. You think back to the Texas A&M game, a game that could look a lot like this one, Will, on Monday, where that game was really low scoring. It was dominated by defense. 
one of the big pivotal plays was D Williams returning a punt for a touchdown. One of the rare scores in that game that kind of gave Tennessee the edge they needed to win. He he's the type of guy that he came in as a defensive back out of Juco didn't really stick there. Never really got a chance there because frankly, the younger guys already were better at the position than he was, but he was so good with the ball in his hand this last year, halfway through the season, we got to get something going with you. We got to somehow utilize you more than we are just as a punt and kick returner. Converted him to a wide receiver. We might see a little bit of a wrinkle of that in the Citrus Bowl. Hasn't necessarily fully integrated himself in that role. But I think they're they're going to try to get the ball in his hands outside of special teams as well. And I'm saying that just to kind of reemphasize how special he is when he does have a little bit of room to work with. So I think that'll be really interesting. The Tory Taylor versus D. Williams kind, kind of matchup. Uh, see how many... He's capable of returning, how, how many chances he gets and what he's able to do with those. Uh, in, in terms of kicking the ball, Jackson Ross is your punter. He, he's an Australian guy, can kick with both feet, the rugby-style rollout type of punter that kind of makes everyone hold their breath uh, when he gets the ball because it always – at first you're like, oh, what, what's that? And then he finally boots in. To start the year, he was pretty rough. He, he was shanking a few and, and didn't look really comfortable – by the end of the year, he looked like one of the better punters in the SEC, and he was breaking some of these old Tennessee records, and Tennessee likes to call themselves punter U for the Colquitts and all those guys that have gone through the program. Uh, which, which oh, Tennessee, dare they? Yeah, Tennessee <laughs> and Iowa, that, that's, a, that's a little, maybe a, a little rivalry, a little trash talk you can have at the tailgate down in Orlando. Who's the real punter U? So. <laughs> but Tory but he, Taylor out there repping Melbourne. Like throwing up gang signs. Like <laughs> he's good. It, it's going to be a uh, two good punters who should see a lot of reps. You have Charles Campbell at, at kicker, a transfer out of Indiana, Tennessee kid who wanted to come home, and he's been good inside forty. When you try to push him outside forty, it's been a little inconsistent. And then uh, just talking about coverage units, they, they've been really good at uh, kind of not letting anyone get anything. If Jackson Ross allows a rare return with that rugby style, they, they've been good at shutting that down. So it's a good special teams unit. It started the it started the year really slow, uh, but by the end of the year, they're kind of firing at all cylinders, and it should be a, a good little special teams matchup to watch. I think. Looking forward to it. So now that we have that done and taken care of, I got one note from our premium board, Waterloo Chaz. <laughs> Dropped this note yesterday for you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, well, regarding Tennessee, for those volunteers listeners out there uh, uh, listening. You lost a bowl game in your home state in 2021 to Purdue. This is not a question. I just wanted to remind you of it. (laughs) If you want to, I'll defend Tennessee fans here. Jalen Wright got robbed. He was in the end zone. Uh, They called progress. Got to rewatch the film. I'll I'll, I'll defend Tennessee fans there. That that was, uh, that's that's an ending I don't think a lot of Tennessee fans like to think about because uh, they, they definitely feel like they got robbed in that one. Whatever you say, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Which wouldn't be the first so, time it's Purdue either. If you go back to the Sweet 16 in basketball, a lot of fans feel like Carson Edwards wasn't fouled, and uh, that they would. I that one Tennessee fans will get mad at me for that one. I, I think that that was probably a foul on Lamonte Turner. Lamonte Turner won't like to hear that either. Uh, but <laughs> Tennessee and Purdue's always had the, these weird endings in recent history. So now that we're wrapping up the pod here, I got to ask you. Final score, why? I think I saw heard the over-under is like 36 and a half, which is absolutely insane for Iowa football. Yeah, that's I don't know. I don't know how much I, I buy into that one. I said hit the over for, for Deacon Hill passing yards, hit the under. You, you always hit the under for Iowa football scores, 
but hammer that one, dude. Yeah, like, I, I put the mortgage on that. That's a t- I I can't imagine that one hits. So tell me tell me what your final score prediction is. <laughs> I I think it's gonna get ugly, right? I don't think that's a, a hot take by any means. I think a lot of people can agree that. Uh, this isn't going to be the prettiest bowl game ever played. And and I think Iowa fans are probably used to that as well. Right now, I, I'm I'm going to sit at 13 to 6. Ugly, okay. nasty. Tennessee puts in one touchdown. Both teams kick two field goals. And that touchdown's the difference. I, God, we'll have to see how they manage the way into the end zone. But I, I still like Tennessee – I like them by less than a possession. I like it to be close down the stretch, but I'll take the Vols to win. And if we want to keep talking Vegas, I believe that would be an Iowa cover. So, okay, all right. <laughs> now, I went on. I went on Hawkeye headquarters yesterday, and you might be surprised by this final score. I said Iowa twenty-three to six. Wow. Now I said that because of true freshman. Uh, don't have what I thought to be the top two starting running backs at that, you know, the top two running backs at that point in time. Um, so, you know, that changes things a little bit, but then I, I think about the, the secondary and truthfully, like, I, I don't know how much you've watched of Iowa football, but Deacon Hill has gotten, well, he was really bad in the, in the big 10 championship, right? Like there were a couple calls that were, were bad. Um, then there was that fumble jazz Patterson, which you can't blame him for. Right. But towards the end of the season, Deacon really settled in and looked like a different quarterback. He was also different in like press conferences, like just the level of of confidence that we saw from him. It was just different. He went from completing like 36 percent of his passes to 63. So Deacon did evolve quite a bit. And there was a, there were a couple throws where I try not to swear on Twitter, but I was like whole or on this podcast for that matter. But I was like, holy shit. He made a throw to Addison Ostranga, the back of the end zone that he would not have made a year ago, six weeks prior to that, two weeks prior to that throw. And so you mentioned the defensive backs too, and that's where a spot for, for Tennessee where I start to lean more towards Iowa. And, you know, again, I, I don't mean this to be an indictment of Nico Iamaliava. I have to think about it every time. It's tough. Um, but I, I this is a scenario where I think he comes away from this game with, probably two picks. One of them may well be a pick six, you know, no Cooper DeGene. So that affects this too. That makes me start to think, and, and it com- combined with the conversation we had, I'd probably start to lean more towards like 20 to 10, 20 to seven, maybe 17, seven. Um, it, it, it all depends too on, I was going to ask you about this. What's the, what do you think the mentality is for Tennessee going to this one? Because for Iowa, they don't buy into bowl games don't matter anymore. Sure. They're, they they want to win that 11th game, right? Kirk Ferentz is not treating this any different than he ever has before. It, it, is that Can that sentiment be said about Josh Heupel and, and Tennessee or, or, or not? I mean, considering especially all the transfers, the opt-outs, all of that. So far, that's been the mentality they've brought in. Year one, you get to the Music City Bowl, Uh, The team's talked in the past about how much it kind of meant to them to be in year one and be able to play in a bowl game. So, so they woke up for that one. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, Purdue 
was able to win that one, but they woke up for that game. And I think they played pretty well in it. And last year, when you're going to a New Year's Six Bowl, it's your first one in what feels like forever for Tennessee. They they woke up for that one too, obviously. I ended up beating Clemson. This year, maybe the first time under Hypel that they fell below expectations. It's only been three years, but a lot of people thought that a New Year's Six was back on the table. So there is a little bit of disappointment maybe among the team and in, in the way that this season finished at eight and four. But I think that they still really feel it's important to end the right way. And that's kind of a balance between you have the veterans like a remote Keaton that I talked about at wide receiver that really don't want to end this, end their career on a bad note. They don't want to end their career losing. And then you have the young guys who this might not be the end of their career, but they want to prove that they belong, that they can play at this level, that they deserve a shot with this team next year and could be a starter and a contributor next year. So maybe it's for selfish reasons. I don't know if selfish is the right word, but maybe it's for personal kind of inner reasons that these guys want to go out and play at a really high level more than just we're with Tennessee and we don't want Tennessee to lose. But I think that the players individually, most of them should be pretty, pretty woken up for this game, pretty amped up for this game and and ready to play. And, and Heupel, like I said, in the last two years, his teams have have looked prepared to play, haven't looked like what I think we're going to see in the Orange Bowl between Georgia and Florida State, where neither team wants to be there. I think this team's excited to be in Orlando. They're excited to play, and, and they're going to try really hard to personally do well, but then also as a team win. Okay. That was a factor in in my thinking, too. Uh, for those of you who were able to watch Hawkeye headquarters, I wasn't able to explain because it's TV and you only get like two seconds to talk about stuff. But that factored into my th- thinking, too, because – you know, what if Nico throws a pick and then he throws a second pick and, sure. and you know, guys start hanging their heads. Guys start thinking, oh, this one's over, moving into next season, especially because they're young. And so that that was a thought process for me, too. I mean, when you look back to Iowa playing that Rutgers game, they won 22 to zero. And and Mason Richmond, left tackle, came in uh, talking to media a couple weeks later and he just said, yeah, Rutgers like didn't even want to play that game. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, when you that's that's where you start to look at Iowa being able to more often than not actually look complimentary is mm-hmm. when the other team quits. <laughs> you know? uh, and that's just a product of, of you know, injuries and, and lack of talent on the offensive side. And, you know, Brian Ferentz being your offensive coordinator, which that is to to change here sooner rather than later. If anyone missed it, Kirk said probably at least by the third week in January, January, they're hoping to hire their OC, which is very different than just about every other program. They can probably <laughs> get away with it right now. They're really uh coming up on on uh, the the border of how many scholarships they can have so they can kind of get away with it at this moment in time but we'll, we'll see how that shakes out obviously the potential of a few guys to come back as well so ryan appreciate you hopping on the pod i'm um, talking talking iowa and tennessee in the citrus bowl coming up here on news new, excuse me new year's day we'll wrap it up here we appreciate you tuning into this episode of Hotcast. Brought to you by iowa.rivals.com. If you're not a subscriber yet, you can do that on our YouTube page. Also, hit that bell for notifications so you do not miss an episode. Drop a like, drop a comment. What's your final score prediction going into this one for Iowa and Tennessee? Where are we off? Did we get this off? Tell us. We want to hear what your thoughts are. Um, and if you're not a premium subscriber yet on iowa.rivals.com, you can do that today. Just go to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Join us there for premium content. You can also subscribe, leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. That does help us out 
a lot. So I am Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Ryan Sylvia from Vol Report, Tennessee.rivals.com. We will see you next time.